0: Hello and welcome to Movie Culture! Today we are talking about Coco!
1: Coco was released in 2017 and is Pixar's 19th feature film. The movie was directed by Lee Uncrick and written by Adrian Molina.
0: If it's been a minute since you've seen this movie, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it recently, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion.
1: In Santa Cecilia, Mexico, 12-year-old Miguel dreams of being a musician, but his family will not allow any music after his great-great-grandfather left the family to pursue musical dreams. On Dia de los Muertos, the one day where the dead can visit their living descendants, Miguel accidentally breaks the photo of his great-great-grandmother, Imelda, on the ofrenda, and finds that her husband, who had been torn out was holding a guitar out of frame, and not just any guitar, but local legend's Ernesto de la Cruz, who became the most popular musician in the world. Miguel breaks in to de la Cruz's mausoleum to take that same guitar, but is transported to the land of the dead, where he only has one night to figure out how to return home. His ancestors, including Mama Imelda, give him the blessing to return home on the condition that Miguel never plays music again, and Miguel refuses, running away. Since he can only return with the family blessing, he decides to track down De La Cruz with the help of Hector, a former bandmate of De La Cruz. In exchange, Hector asks Miguel to put his photo on the ofrenda so that he too can visit the world of the living to see his own family, who have not posted photos of him. Miguel eventually meets Dela Cruz, who agrees to send him back, until it is revealed that Dela Cruz killed Hector and got famous from Hector's songs. Dela Cruz sees Miguel as too dangerous with this information and throws him into a grotto with Hector, trapping the pair. There, Hector reveals that he just wanted to see his daughter before she dies, because if she dies without passing on his legacy, so too will he disappear from the land of the dead, and the two will never meet. Miguel realizes that Hector, not Dela Cruz, is his real great-great-grandfather. Imelda and the family rescue the duo and trick Dela Cruz into admitting the murder and ruining his legacy at his big sunrise concert. Miguel returns home, restoring his great-great-grandfather Hector's legacy and bringing a love of music back to their family. Hey, how did you like this movie?
0: I loved it. Yeah? I really, really, really liked this movie. I liked it better this time than when I saw it the first time.
1: Wow. I liked it the first time and I loved it. Wow. I was like tearing up basically the whole second half of the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. We'll we'll talk about that for sure.
1: What do you love so much about it?
0: Um, Well, we can start out with the smaller things and then build up.
1: Yeah, let's start with the short songs, much like an album, and build up to the big hits.
0: Right, great. So I guess the small details.
1: Mm -hmm. The opener.
0: Yes, I love the small details. I Mm -hmm. just think there are cultural details about Mexico that are really great.
1: Details about Dia de los Muertos.
0: Yes, but also details about the characters. There's specificity that makes them feel so real. Mm-hmm. I think with Miguel...
1: Oh, I love Miguel.
0: Miguel is so cute. Right away, we're introduced to him in a way that makes him unique. Mm-hmm. We get the sense of you know the broader things that we love about most protagonists, where he feels like he's different, he wants to be something bigger than he thinks he can be, He is searching for what makes him him, and he's trying to find his path. And those are just, that's a recipe for a character that we love.
1: We would love that on its own.
0: Right. But they add in these details that make him specific. So right away, we see him talking to Coco, and it's the things that he tells her that are so strangely unique. I mean, he's not -hmm. not talking about school or, you know, his friends, but he's talking about how... He's learned to run in a way that makes him really fast. So he's demonstrating.
1: He's got a new technique that he wants to show off.
0: Yeah. And he's talking about his dimple. And he has one dimple on one side and not on the other side. And he has to tell his whole family. And he can't stop talking about it because he's Mm -hmm. so excited about this detail about himself.
1: He's such a fun, enthusiastic kid.
0: Yeah. And then we see him when he's trying to learn to play the guitar. He sticks out his tongue when he's focusing. It's just a lot of little things that really draw us into this character. But there is also details about other characters too. And I, my favorite detail is with Hector mm-hmm. because I love that he doesn't wear shoes. I think that is such a smart detail.
1: I didn't even notice that.
0: Most of the skeletons in the Land of the Dead are wearing shoes. They're wearing full regular mm-hmm. human clothes, but he's barefoot. And that's significant because...
1: He's poor, Oh, my God. Why is that significant?
0: Because Miguel's great-great-grandmother...
1: Oh, my God.
0: ...is a shoemaker. Oh, my God. And Miguel's whole family is a family of shoemakers.
1: My mind is blown. It's a
0: beautiful detail, and it's so subtle, and they don't feel the need to draw attention to it. They don't need to, like, elbow us and say, like, look how clever we are. It's It's just there. It's like a little gift...
1: Oh my God, I'm shook. Okay, so Hector, who, of course, we ends up being revealed as Miguel's true great-great-grandfather, never wears shoes, and as he leaves his family to pursue music, his family becomes shoemakers for mm-hmm. generations and generations. Wow, this movie is so good. It's so
0: good. And, and at the uh-huh. very end of the movie, uh-huh. one year later... When all of the ancestors come back on the day of the dead, uh-huh. Hector's wearing shoes. Wait,
1: I need to I need to check this. Oh my oh my. okay, so sorry, we're doing this in real time. I am just opening back up the movie. I scrolled all the way to the end. and not only is he wearing shoes, but they zoom in on his shoes and follow, oh my God. Wow, that okay.
0: I love it so much.
1: This movie is so integrated and the little details all like, Yes. They all add up so well.
0: Yeah, and it really rewards multiple watchings because I didn't notice mm-hmm. that of on my first not. Yeah.
1: watch. Wow, that's incredible. Were there any other details like that? I'm just ready to have my mind continually blown.
0: There are so many, but we can't get into all of them.
1: <laughs> I mean, just surface level stuff because I liked a lot of the deep stuff, but surface level, the colors in this movie are so beautiful. When they leave, when Miguel leaves Santa Cecilia to go into the Land of the Dead. Santa Cecilia is very muted, and his family being cobblers adds to this. It's a lot of grays of the street and beiges of the walls and browns of the leather of the shoes. And then they go into the Land of the Dead, and the bridge there is full of orange petals that light up. And then the Land of the Dead is just full of bright yellows and greens and blues and neons. It's a color explosion which is just shocking. It's striking in a really, really beautiful way.
0: It's gorgeous. This movie is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And even watching it on our little computer screen, <laughs> the mm-hmm. way we watch these movies, it's it's pretty stunning.
1: Yeah. I just, I thought that was so good. And that, of course, is partially story, right? That was a deliberate decision to make the real world and the land of the dead feel different and for the land of the dead to feel magical and exciting especially because this is a movie largely for American audiences mm-hmm. who may not have the same cultural understanding about the dead or about the land of the dead. And the colors make it clear that this is an exciting, magical place, not a sad place. This movie is very much about death, explicitly so, the entire time. But the sadness about death is not inherent to the movie. It It's not... Downbeats. It is fully upbeat and a celebration of life through the reflection of death and the art and animation and music of this movie. And we will get to the music. But all of that just enhances this this emotional quality,
0: yeah. And I love that what you're saying about the Western culture because mm-hmm. at least, you know, the the culture that I have absorbed in Western culture. When we think about death and ghosts and all, you know, zombies and any other kind of mm-hmm. death tropes, it's very gray and yeah. colorless. So mm-hmm. it's it's so nice to see this version of the afterlife. I really loved it.
1: It is so beautiful. And you understand why Leoncrick, the director, became so enamored with Dia de los Muertos and the Mexican cultural heritage of the day of the dead and what the land of the dead is like and how influential that can be and meaningful that can be for him, even though he has talked about how he doesn't come from that cultural background. It is worth saying that Leon Crick is white. He does not come from a Hispanic background. And he was inspired by these ideas and felt really compelled and passionate about telling this story and about telling this story in the right way. He did not give up the reins to this story. Instead, what he did is he hired one of the writers, one of the few writers on this movie, Adrian Molina, to also co-direct with him. So that was his way of trying to make sure that this came from a cultural background that celebrated Mexican culture, but he himself is not from this culture.
0: Yeah. And I think that that is definitely worth saying because we would want Pixar mm-hmm. to be bringing on people from these backgrounds to tell stories. I'm glad that he did bring on someone onto the, as a co-director and as a writer. And he clearly did a lot of research. But yeah, it is it is tricky.
1: It is, I think, a conversation that we've not yet talked about that much because Pixar has mostly stayed within a fully Western cultural identity. Mm-hmm. And this is their first sort of step out of it in some way, and they are now continuing to do that. What Uncrick does with Adria Molina is similar to what Pete Doctor does in Soul with Kemp Powers, who is an African-American writer and playwright who wrote the movie and also co-directed with Pete Doctor. and this is something that Pixar is still figuring out because the next two movies that are coming out, Luca and Turning Red, are also not specifically American. Luca is Italian and we don't know exactly where Turning Red is taking place, but instead of having their usual cast of directors, many of whom we really love and think do really incredible work, but they're hiring directors from these cultures to steer the movie and to lead the movie, which is new for Pixar, which has generally relied on the same stable of white male directors.
0: Yeah. And I think that that is a great direction. We are very excited for those. But back to Coco.
1: Yes. I want to stay in the Land of the Dead because I love it. And as the world's foremost urbanist Pixar podcast, <laughs> I feel like I want to talk about the urbanism of the Land of the Dead.
0: I love this.
1: It is so cool. I love this area. I love that you enter into a like customs train station You know that if you put a train station in a movie, I am all the way in. Also, all on board. I am so on board. And it is worth saying there is not a single car in this movie. Not because there is not forms of transport, because there are gondolas and there are trains and there are some buses, I believe, but there are no cars, no car crashes. It's great. But also the city has these beautiful towers and these beautiful plazas and there are docks and skyscrapers i just i loved the world building of the world of the dead that it was both a magical place but also really grounded and people still have jobs in the world of the dead there are still conductors and security guards and party goers well party goers isn't a job <laughs> But there are things that people do and they fulfill their lives, they have fulfilling lives in the setting that they are, which is everyone in history communally together in a world that is not just fanciful. It's not just this serene afterlife, but it is an exciting, crowded city. That is my version of heaven. It is not these, like, big fields with plenty of space. It is small, loud, musical apartments and plazas with good public transit.
0: Dense urban centers.
1: Dense urban centers. That's Give me dream. a CBD when I die and go to heaven. That's all I want. CBD stands for Central Business District. Thank you. This has been <laughs> your brief urbanism segment.
0: It's great, but I I agree with you. I think that the world building is so good. And honestly, I do think that In comparison to Soul, which is another conception Mm -hmm. of the afterlife.
1: Those movies are very similar.
0: Very similar, but the afterlife looks so different. Totally. And I do prefer this version.
1: Yeah. I do have one thing on this. One of the fundamental problems with cities and everywhere, this is not alone in cities, but it is most visible in cities, is income segregation.
2: Mm.
1: Wealthy people tend to live in some areas and poor people tend to live in other areas. And the areas the poor people live are not as nice. They don't have as good services. They're farther away. And at least from my cultural background, we all return to death as equals, right? Death Mm -hmm. is a great equalizer. However much money you make or whatever you accumulate in your life, you can't take it with you. And I did just want to point out I feel weird saying that this is a critique I have of this movie.
0: No, I. this is interesting.
1: But this movie says that you absolutely take it with you, right? Ernesto de la Cruz is the most famous musician in the world, and he lives in a giant mansion in the biggest tower. He is a celebrity in the afterlife. And Hector lives on the docks. He lives on a house that is on stilts.
0: Falling down.
1: Falling down. There is real income segregation, and I thought that it made the world so wonderful and deep and interesting, and I would love to think so much more about the world building of The Land of the Dead in Cocoa, but I just thought that was a really, it is antithetical to the way that we often talk about death as an equalizer.
0: I, a couple things. So mm-hmm. first of all, I totally agree with you. I think that part of why we love it so much is because They've conceptualized a city but mm-hmm. that comes with the same problems that cities and just society as a whole have. Yeah. And one of those is income segregation. And also, I mean, you mentioned that people have jobs like people still yeah. have to work and labor in the land of the dead.
1: One of the security guards talks about how he's hoping to get off work early so he can visit his family on the Day of the Dead, which is the only time during the year he can see his family. And it's just like, that was just a one-off line. Mm-hmm. It, it's a nothing, it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. But that was kind of, that hit me mm-hmm. because I was just thinking, oh my God, this this one guy has a family, they remember him, they want him back, but- he can't go because like he has to work.
0: And that's a conception of work that is not work that people do just for the joy of it and because it gives their life meaning. I mean, if he is working on the biggest holiday, the most important family holiday of the year, then it is because he has to.
1: Would you say that he's an essential worker Mm. and like essential workers in our own society is not valued in the way that properly reflects the importance he has to society and the way that everyone else relies on him.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think the other thing about this world and this class segregation and wealth is that it's, it didn't seem like it was quite that they're taking the wealth that they had in life with them. Mm-hmm. It seems like the wealth that they have in the land of the dead is related directly to the people that remember them because all of the people who live on the docks are the people who don't have anybody who is putting out their picture.
1: They're not remembered.
0: Well, they're remembered. Uh, yeah. But yes. they are not valued yeah. in the land of the living.
1: Yes. They're not receiving sacrifices mm-hmm. or offerings.
0: Right. And de la Cruz has all this wealth and is this massive celebrity mm-hmm. because so many people still give him offerings and remember him and put out his photo.
1: He says at one point that he gets so many offerings that he doesn't know what to do with them as there is a mountain of guitars in the background.
0: And we see how hard it is for Hector to even get one guitar. He has to mm-hmm. beg his friend to give him the one guitar on the docks. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. And we see this this inequality in the land of the dead but I also think it's, it's worth pointing out that this is not the final death, as they say. Mm-hmm. In the land of the dead, once the last living person who remembers you in the land of the living dies, then you also leave this yeah. land of the dead. And so, I mean, we are never told what comes next. No one in the movie knows what comes next.
1: Which you need in order for that to have the same stakes that yes. death typically does.
0: Yes. Yes. But it's, it's interesting to think of this as an in-between between true mm-hmm. death and the land of the living. And it mm-hmm. still has a lot of the problems of the land of the living. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to think about.
1: Look, if you can laugh, cry, and talk about income inequality <laughs> all in the same movie, I mean, that's a 10 out of 10. That's all I want. Okay, so we've been talking for a couple minutes at this point, and honestly, we've gone too long without talking about the music. Yes. Oh my God, the music is so good. Like, I know everyone knows the music so good. We all know, like, Remember Me" is amazing. Remember Me won an Oscar for best song. I know, I know, you know, the audience knows. We all know that the music is amazing. But I want to talk about how good the music is. Go ahead. A, a bunch of these songs are really good. They're like legit, very good songs. That's level one. We all know that that's great. And also, we don't often get songs like this in Pixar. This is often more of a Disney thing. And the idea that you can also put these songs into Pixar, that music doesn't have to be an entertainment only, but not essential to the story.
0: Or it doesn't have to break the actual reality. Exactly. In a lot of, you know, the princess movies, it's like they're not singing in the actual story. They're having a song break.
1: Yeah, there's no point in this movie where you're like, oh, now there's a song. Now there's a
0: musical number.
1: Yeah, it's just like, no, Miguel is performing. Mm -hmm. Like this is, he's on stage. So I loved all of that. The thing I really want to talk about here is music and memory and the precise way that songs, these songs, but also all songs, influence our memory and emotions and provide a direct line from the song, right into emotions Mm -hmm. in a way that no other art form or truly anything is able to do so cleanly. This movie is so much about all the feelings that family brings up, whether that is frustration or longing or love. And the movie uses songs, uses the music to directly pierce those emotional centers. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: They do it through musical themes, and the ways that songs come up and shift during the movie. The song Remember Me specifically is really interesting in the way that music is used and variations in the music are used to directly affect emotions. Remember Me is played three different times. First, as a big show-stopping number that De La Cruz plays. Second, as a lullaby from Hector to Coco. And finally, at the conclusion of the movie when Miguel plays it for Coco, so that she will remember Hector. I just think that music has the ability to transport us back to specific times in our lives, to specific emotions, in a way that truly nothing else can. And I think that this movie really values the importance of music, the importance of music both between the movie and the audience, using musical themes, but also in the world of the movie, that music is so important and music gives the characters emotion and also the characters use music as a way to form emotional connections and bonds. It's just something I absolutely love about this movie.
0: Right. And they're, they're saying very, very clearly how important music is for our emotions and our mm-hmm. memories. I mean, the song is literally Remember Me. It's about asking the person to remember them. Mm -hmm. And at one point, one of the characters, as he's being forgotten in the land of the dead, talks about how music brings back memories for him. So it has so much to say about how music is linked to memory. And of course, at the end of the movie, when Miguel sings to Coco, she remembers her father.
1: Oh my God. It's just, it, hits me so hard.
0: Yeah, so can we talk about why exactly it is so emotional and how the movie constructs emotion?
1: Yeah, let's nerd out.
0: Okay, so I am obsessed with the construction of this movie. I think it's brilliant. And I think that the climax of this movie, its final act... Is one of the most moving that I have seen. And I think that a huge part of that is because of the setup, because it sets up these characters so well. It sets up the stakes with Miguel being stuck in the land of the dead and Hector being forgotten from the land of the dead mm-hmm. because it has all of these details and because it uses tension so well. Okay. So that's what I want to talk about specifically. The final climax of this movie is really tense. There's a lot going on. There's a lot at stake. Mm -hmm. And usually with a movie, you will get either negative tension or positive tension. And these aren't actual terms, I don't think. But basically, positive tension is when you are rooting for something to happen. And you are really invested in seeing that played through to the end. Okay. So... The best example of this is with romance. You are rooting for the characters to get together at the end. It is a positive ending that you are really excited about happening. And the tension comes from this fear, even though you know how it's going to end. This, this tension of waiting for it to happen and all mm-hmm. the things that stand in the character's way between them and the happy ending that you're excited about. Negative tension is when you are worried about something bad happening to the character. Okay. This is most commonly seen in horror or thrillers where there is some kind of monster and there is a threat of death and you are wanting the character to escape this situation. Mm -hmm. The thing about tension is that when it is finally released, that is when we get a rush of emotion because there's so much that has been building up And then once we get the ending that we are excited about or not, when we get the answer, then we feel the emotion of it. Yeah. It's very satisfying.
1: Like a popcorn kernel popping.
0: (laughs) Yes. And the stronger the tension, the stronger the emotional reaction. What Coco does so well and what I think that the best, most moving movies do is that it gives us both negative and positive tension. We have this positive tension in feeling like if Miguel gets back to the land of the living, then we're excited because he gets back to his family. We're excited because we know that he can go to Coco and remind her of Hector. Mm -hmm. We know that when he tells his family what really happened with Hector and he corrects their understanding of the family narrative. It will heal his family from the bitterness and the pain that they've experienced. It will resolve this conflict that Miguel has with his family around music. There's so much positive that we want to see. And the first two thirds of the movie do such a good job setting up that ending. We Mm -hmm. know by the end of the second act, once it's revealed that Hector is really Miguel's great-grandfather, we know what a happy ending looks like. Yeah. We even know that the way that Miguel can remind Coco of Hector is by singing the song to her because Hector says that that is Coco's main memory of him. Yeah. So there's so much that we want to see happen and we're so invested in seeing that happen. So everything that prevents Miguel from getting that ending is really tense for us.
1: Positive tension.
0: Yes. The negative tension, of course, comes from what is at stake if Miguel fails to get back, which is that he will be trapped in the land of the dead forever and Hector will be forgotten because Miguel won't be able to go back. He won't be able to remind Coco. On top of that, we know that if Miguel disappears, then it's going to be heartbreaking for his family back in the land of the living. Mm -hmm. And it will repeat the pain that his Great grandfather had it will oh be the God. same kind of story of music taking away a loved one.
1: I never even thought about that, but you're right, it is, it's right there.
0: Yeah, so rather than rectifying this wrong done to the family, it would compound it. Mm-hmm. So there's just so much at stake in both directions. And when Miguel gets back, it is such an emotional release for us. Mm-hmm. On top of that, they are using iteration so well. A lot of times, a movie will set something up and then pay it off. This can be in the form of a joke or just something fun. This movie does that with Frida Kahlo. We see Hector dressing up as Frida Kahlo in the beginning. And then in the climax of the movie, the whole family has to dress up as Frida Kahlo in order to infiltrate De La Cruz's performance.
1: This is classic planting and payoff. It's like Chekhov's gun, where if there's a gun on the wall in the first act, it will be shot at the end of the third act. But this is everywhere. Once mm-hmm. you know, once you start watching movies, you know. Like you can even start to tell when a joke is being set up, and then will be told in full later in the movie.
0: Right, and when something is paid off, it always comes in the form of emotion again, mm-hmm. and. That can be really any form of emotion depending on what is being set up and paid off and what context. So like you're saying, oftentimes it's in the form of a joke and the payoff is humor. Iteration can come in the form of an image, of a line of dialogue. An example of image iteration is the whole montage in the beginning of Up, which we talked about at length. Mm. We set up one image and then turn it turn it to change its meaning, to give it a deeper context, and that provides an emotional release and insight.
1: Carl and Ellie climb the hill, but Carl can't quite keep up with Ellie and their youth. And then a few minutes later, Carl and Ellie climb the hill, but this time Ellie can't make it up because she's sick. Exactly. Gutting.
0: Of course, Coco does this with Remember Me. Mm. (laughs) Mmm. It's really good. It's
1: so good.
0: We have it set up as an up beat song by Dela Cruz and by the end it is a acoustic moving song that Hector has written for Coco and that Miguel then sings for Coco. So really if this kind of iteration is a way of creating emotion the fact that this movie does it with music which is arguably the most emotional medium On top of the emotional release that we get from all of this tension, we just, we don't have a chance. (laughs) We're just crying.
1: And can I nerd out a little bit about the way that they iterate on this theme of Remember Me?
0: Yes, please.
1: So I'm going to go way back here. Light motifs are musical themes in movies popularized by composer Richard Wagner, when he would have the same series of notes and chords introduce characters over the course of a movie and what Wagner did that was so interesting why why he really popularized the use of leitmotifs is because Wagner would change the leitmotif so it wasn't just the same series of notes every time the character appeared they'd be different or played by different instruments depending on the character's mood and other contexts this happens in remember me the first time remember me is played it is upbeat as you were saying it is a big band. There are lots of different instruments. And the second time it's played, when it's just Hector singing to Coco, it's one acoustic guitar. That's a difference in change of instruments. But there are also difference in the notes that are being played. The first note of Remember Me in both versions is a C major chord, which lets your brain know something. It gives it some information about the kind of key that this song is in that it could be in a variety of different major or minor keys because C major chord is a chord in a bunch of different keys. The first time the song plays, the song plays in this major chord with Dela Cruz having it being a, a joyous song, right? Major chords, major keys feel happy and upbeat. Even though he's talking about leaving, he's saying, you will remember me and That's because I'm so great and I'm so wonderful and it's exciting and, you know, it's a big showstopper. But when Hector plays it for Coco, the second note is an F minor chord, which lets us know as the audience that actually this song is now in a minor key. And it's not uplifting. It's not exciting. The difference between major and minor keys is that major keys tend to lead to songs that sound happy and minor keys tend to lead to songs that sound sad. So the very baseline emotions of the song are different depending on the slight, almost imperceivable iterations on the exact chords that are played. And not only is the movie planting and pay off the song, so they introduce something to familiarize the audience with it, and then when it brings it up in a different context, which is... This is what Miguel needs to do in order for Coco to remember Hector and save him so they can meet each other again and to restore his legacy. That brings us emotion. But also, the song is literally different in a way that propels us towards specific emotion. It's so cool.
0: It's so good. And it's layered on top of the meaning of the plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, when De La Cruz sings at first, when it's this big upbeat number, it, it's su- something that he is celebrating because everybody's going to remember him because he's famous and it's great and it's a happy song. But when Hector is singing it to Coco, it's a sad song because he is leaving Coco. His passion is pulling him away from his family. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of sadness to that.
1: Yeah, it's the only way that they can be together. The only way they can connect is through music and through this one song.
0: Oh, this movie is so good.
1: The story construction is just so good. It's so tight. Was there anything about it that that didn't work for you?
0: I don't know. I the first time I watched it, I had a critique of it that I Didn't feel held up the second time I watched it. I didn't have a problem with it the second time. The first time, I think that personally, my biggest problem, and I don't think this is a problem with the movie, which is why I'm hesitant to call it a critique. It was just um, kind of, a, I guess, a, a slight damper on my viewing experience, is that I felt like the twist, which we get two thirds into the movie that
1: actually Hector is the great-great-grandfather, not Dela Cruz?
0: Yes. I felt like that was really predictable, basically from the moment that we see Hector, the very first time we see him on screen, when he's dressed up as Frida Kahlo and trying to get to the land of the living, mm-hmm. and he can't. And then, right away, Hector and Miguel have to team up to try to both get what they want. Hector wants Miguel to put his picture up. And Miguel wants Hector to help him find Dela Cruz, and basically, it's it's not necessarily a fault of the movie. It's just there has to be a reason that Hector is in the movie at all, and especially once we get so much time with Hector and Miguel bonding and the connection mm-hmm. between them. There, it, this is a movie about family, and it's a movie about Miguel trying to find his great grandfather specifically. And it just feels like there's no other reason that they would spend so much time developing Hector's character and the relationship between the two.
1: This movie's so tight, and we understand that all the pieces matter. So if Hector didn't turn out to be the great-great-grandfather, that would be a huge piece of the movie that ended up not mattering, which would be kind of—it'd be silly. It, it makes no sense that that would happen, which, of course, it doesn't matter because it does happen. But, of course, you saw that right from the beginning— That this is a piece that needs to fit in and this is the only way for it to fit in.
0: Right. So for me, when I was watching it, I was kind of just spending a lot of the movie waiting for that to be confirmed. Mm -hmm. And that's partly why I think that the setup is so important, but the payoff is where this movie really shines. I think the best part of the movie is when we have all of the information and we're just watching it all come together in that last third of it. Yeah that said i don't think that it is a fair critique because i'm not the primary audience it is still a movie where the primary audience is kids and it's always important to me to say that just because a movie or a story is for kids that should never mean that it's you know dumbed down in any way it should always treat the audience with respect because Kids are smart and kids deserve good stories, but there is a difference in context. Kids don't have the same context that an adult does, and especially when it comes to things like plot twists, Mm. adults have spent so much more time watching and consuming stories And so we have built up a catalog of different kinds of plot twists and the way that stories are put together. And kids just have not had the same amount of time. They haven't seen as many stories.
1: For a kid, it would be conceivable that you meet a character and they don't need to build into the conclusion of the movie. It can just be a fun side character.
0: Of course. And when you're doing things specifically for reveals like this, Mm -hmm. I think it is important to consider the audience, to consider how much background they are already bringing to this experience, and to build in the clues accordingly.
1: I think that's a really important thing about reveals, about plot twists, because the other side of this, when you get a plot twist that really surprises adults— That's not always a good thing. That just means that it hasn't been laid out well enough. There's a really tricky balance that movies and other forms of media that try and do this need to walk where they are making it so that when the reveal happens, you understand it and understand that it is what the movie's been saying the whole time. It doesn't confuse you. It just like, oh, now things make sense. And if too few breadcrumbs are put down, then it's confusing and it's not a good twist. This was what we felt about Westworld, the TV show on HBO a few years ago, that was just all about the twists. It wasn't about story. It was just ways to surprise the audience.
0: Right. And I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Westworld, but I do also understand the challenge that they're coming from, which is Mm -hmm. that they're dealing with an audience that is not only much older and so has more experience with stories, but is also the kind of audience that is specifically looking and analyzing and trying to guess these twists. Yeah. So they they have a really different kind of challenge of how much they are having to give without showing their hand immediately.
1: Of course, the other side of the spectrum is too many breadcrumbs are put down and it isn't surprising at all you're just waiting for it to be revealed because you think it already has been.
0: Yes. All this to say that it is extremely hard to do it well and how well, in quotes, I guess, it is done depends on the audience that you are writing for. Exactly. So, even though I'm saying that when I watched it, I was like, oh, of course it's going to happen, I don't think it's a critique of the movie because I think that it shows that they really did understand their audience, and I think they did it so well mm-hmm. while prioritizing the, the people that this story is truly for, even though it appeals to people of all ages.
1: Also, I was an adult when I saw this movie for the first time, and I wouldn't say that the twist shocked me, but... I didn't see it coming the same way that you did. So maybe there's one or two extra breadcrumbs that didn't need to be there, which, by the way, make for really enjoyable re-watching. Because when you re-watch the movie, you see all the times, all the opportunities that Hector, if he knew that Miguel was his great-great-grandson, that all of this trouble could have been saved. All of these stories could have been passed down. They could spend meaningful time together, instead of fighting over misunderstandings. And knowing that going back is such a satisfying experience because you see it, you see all the work that the storytellers put in to build up this plot and not quite reveal it. And also, this gets back to the very first thing you were saying about Miguel and how much of a realistic, wonderful character Miguel is. Because Miguel, the 12-year-old boy, has become convinced that Ernesto de la Cruz, the famous musician, is his great-great-grandfather, and that's the only option. And of course, he doesn't flinch when Hector says, I'm just trying to get back to my daughter. He doesn't flinch when Hector says, I used to play guitar, even though we see these as hints and, and acknowledgments of what we find out later in the movie. And of course, those are some of the breadcrumbs that... Maybe there's one or two extra, but maybe it's just the right amount.
0: Yeah, honestly, I think it's the right amount. I guess maybe they're, they're not writing for people who obsessively analyze stories. And that is the correct choice for them.
1: And again, it did not feel predictable to me. So you are very smart and we all love that about you. But, uh, you know, you're also on a different level of understanding this sort of thing. I want to talk a little bit about theme and I'm wondering what you thought the theme of this really, really incredibly constructed movie is what, what is all of this building up to in your mind?
0: This movie is so much about family. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's saying that family is the most important thing. It makes us who we are and we have a duty to care for and to love and to remember the stories of our family. I also, I really appreciated that the primary message I think is talking to kids, as we said, that's the the main audience, but it's also talking to the older generations. I think when this movie says family is the most important thing and we have a duty to them, it is also saying that we have a duty to try to understand and to support our family members, even if they have passions or interests or paths that are unfamiliar or that are new or scary, that despite that, the important thing is to support family.
1: Not to mention being about the love that a parent Hector has for his child and the understanding that that families, that multi-generational families are full of these parent and children relationships that Coco, who we see as the great-grandmother, is also the baby girl. And the grandmother is also her daughter, and she's caring for for her mother. And these relationships are all throughout the family.
0: I love the multi-generational aspect of mm-hmm. it. I love that when the story is saying family is important, it's not just talking about the small nuclear family. It's talking about the whole extended family— even the ancestors that Miguel hasn't even met before, those, mm-hmm. are, those are important to you because that's a part of him and their story is a part of him. I love that. Yeah. What about you? What did you think the theme was?
1: Well, we've sort of circled around it, talking about music and emotions and memories. But I think what this movie is really getting at is that memories are the foundation of emotion, All emotion comes from memories. This is something I think about a lot, memory, and I am skeptical about memories. We don't talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I'm very interested in this topic about what are memories, how important are memories. And I believe that memories have a very specific, important role, but that role is specific and are utilized poorly in other areas. Specifically, I think that we too often rely on memories for objective truth, which I think is really dangerous. Things like, I remember the exact way that something happened, or I remember when something happened, where I was, things like that. I think there is a lot of evidence, and there's been a lot of research done on this, that people's memories are not as accurate as they believe they are. It is Thomas Hobbes who, in Leviathan, says that memory is almost akin to imagination in that it is a present understanding of things that are happening solely in our head because they do not exactly reflect the past, right? We don't have picture-perfect memories. It is our current understanding of something that we recall, and in that way has much more to do with imagination than reality. That leads me into what memories do really well, which is preserve emotions and relate emotions. While you may not remember exactly the words that someone said or exactly where you were, you remember how they made you feel. And I don't want to understate at all how valuable those emotions are, because the emotions you feel from memories and from your experience are not only crucial, they are the bedrock of all the decisions and actions we make, you decide to do something because of how you feel about that context, about that decision. And the way you feel is informed by what you perceive your experiences as. And it truly doesn't matter if those experiences are based in objective truth. Even though, of course, we all think that our experiences are based in objective truth, but that that doesn't really matter. Because what your decisions are based off of is your perceptions of that, your memories, and the way that those memories make you feel. So in that way, memories are of crucial importance because they are the basis of emotion. And emotion leads us to all the decisions and actions that we take. Now... That's a lot about memory without talking about this movie, but I think that this movie thinks a lot about legacy and memory, of course, because it's all about how do we remember the people who are gone? How do we tell stories about things that have happened, right? You understand that your great-great-grandfather wanted to be a musician and left and never returned home. You don't know that he actually got poisoned by his friend and and that's why he didn't get home and he wanted to, but he always loved his family. You just know this one aspect of his legacy. And these memories build up emotions throughout generations. It's the generational memory of Hector leaving that makes this whole family become like the town in Footloose, that they just don't take any music. It's
0: generational trauma.
1: Yeah, exactly. And The emotional scars from generational trauma are so real, and they inform everything. And I think that the movie is trying to say that. That it doesn't have to do with the specificity of memory or the reality of memory, because who knows? This all happened so long ago, and there's no way of really knowing, but look at the impact that our understanding of the past has on our present day and the emotions that are born out of our understanding of the world through our memories and through the legacies of our ancestors.
0: Yeah, that it's not just the memories mm-hmm. that living people have. It is the Memories that are maintained in a family through storytelling.
1: You know, we've talked about how this is a movie that's really based within Mexican culture, and that is so wonderful. But these ideas are not limited to Mexican culture. You, Tay, have written about this, I think, as well as anyone, in your Newbery-winning book, When You Trap a Tiger, about the ideas of legacy and memory in Korean mythology. And, of course, there are ideas about legacy and what is legacy that permeate our society, right? Legacy is what lives on after you are gone. It's what you pass down from generation to generation, La Vador. Door. And what this movie posits is what if there was this in-between space? What if you could see what happens with your legacy, what happens of the memories of you after you are gone? And I, just, I love the way that it It talks about it and it shows the importance of legacy and memory and the way that it binds people and binds families.
0: I do love these themes. I love these ideas. I love this movie.
1: (laughs) It is really, really wonderful. Look, all I'm trying to get out of a movie is a fun time, which is, you know, beautiful animation and fun characters and an exciting plot. And also emotional beats that are created by really excellent, well-crafted story structure and resonant themes. That's like,
0: all you're asking that's for. That's all I'm so asking for. So easy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> look, and and so frequently we are happy with two or even one of those. And this movie just does all of it and it makes it look so easy.
0: I think that's really true. It makes it look effortless.
1: There's a little bit of sleight of hand, I think, with what we were talking about at the beginning, the colors and the animation because that is so fun and so exciting and really in your face that the color palette mm. is a fundamentally different one than we've seen, right? It's so much more saturated than what we've seen in other Pixar movies that you're almost paying a little too much attention to that to notice all of the structure and machinery going on underneath.
0: Yeah. Well... This is definitely in contention for my favorite of the movies that we've seen.
1: It's definitely top tier. I just want to sing. I just want to be singing. (laughs) I've had such good restraint. I want you to praise me for my restraint for not singing on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I am pretty impressed. Please don't. It's copyrighted. (laughs) (laughs) So that was Coco. Mm -hmm. We loved it. So much. What are we watching next week?
1: Next week we are watching... Incredibles 2. Ooh. Return of the Credible.
2: (laughs) Okay. I
1: don't think that's the subline. We'll see. That's not the turn Return of the Underminer?
0: We shall see. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please give us an excellent review.
1: Five stars only.
0: And we will see you next
1: week. Remember me.